Well, good morning, and thanks for joining us for this last day of the year. You know, there are no throwaway Sundays. This Sunday is, is going to count for something. God is at work today. Do you believe that? There's a word that he wants to give to you. If you'll listen, it may guide and direct 2024 in your life. And then here is the word, okay? Um, I think that you and I need to live grateful for the goodness of God. We need to live with an attitude of gratitude. You, God is good, and that's why we are here. That's why we flourish. That's why we can enjoy life, because God is good. Our verse today is Psalm 136, verse 1. And when it com comes up on the screen, I want you to read it out loud with me. Here, here we go. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And that was really good, but I think we can do better. Come on, leave that verse up there. I want to hear it this time. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. What we need to do is recognize that you and I exist and are here today because of the goodness of God. And the first point is this, is that God's goodness was at work before you were even born. You know, I, I find such comfort in knowing that the goodness of God is a much bigger story than just me. I'm, I'm part of that story, but God is so big, so good, that even before I got here, his goodness was active. Do you know that no baby is ever born unless God has willed for that child to exist? Proverbs tells us that God knits every child together in his, mother, his or her mother's womb. He sustains us every day. Sometimes we think that the good things in our life that we enjoy are because we're talented. Some of you are very talented. All of us can do something or, or because we worked hard. While all of that can be true, it is also true that whatever talent you and I have was a gift of God. It was an evidence of his goodness. God has been constantly working to push back the forces of evil to, that, that are there to destroy us. One of my favorite verses, which is the second point, we're not there yet, by the way, uh, I ju I'm jumping ahead. If, if it wasn't for the mercies of God, we would be consumed daily. I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, and they were interviewing a lady who was an astronaut who has been on the space station, stayed there for six months. She described how majestic it was the first time she looked through the porthole at planet Earth, this beautiful blue-green dot, and she described how that in, in, the, in, in, the, in space, space is a very hostile environment, she says. But when she looked and saw the Earth, it was, it was covered with this, this blueness. She says, it is a fragile existence where we live, but the mercies of God are extended every single day, every day. We thank God for what he does. We don't even understand or could know everything he does, all of the mercies that are extended. I thank God for the way he's answered impossible prayers in my life. I thank God for the way he let me meet the right people and you know, she, he let me meet my wife, and I thank God that she finally said yes after the third time I proposed to her. I'm glad, I'm glad we didn't have like a party waiting after that first time, because that would have been a really sad moment. But I thank God that he shows us mercy 
when we sin and mess up and make a mess of things. God covers us. He doesn't rub our nose in our sin. I mean, he, he is there to rest. That, that was the whole gospel. We are here because of the goodness of God. And the goodness of God actually precedes our birth. When I think about that, um, I, I, I think about the fact that I live with blessing that has come to me from my ancestors, generations past. I reap the goodness and blessing that they sowed. And that, that, is, that is just an incredible thing. Uh, there's an older man, and he was planting fruit trees on his property. And a young man came up and said to him, you know, you're not gonna live long enough to eat the fruit of those apple trees. And he said, I know. I'm planting these for my grandkids. This is the goodness of God that comes to us through the generations past. Psalm 105 says, you harvested, you harvested what, others, what others planted. God has been at work in my life in the generations before me. You know, I, I, I remember very vividly growing up in the Philippines and, um, you know, especially back then when I was a little boy, Philippines was very much a third world country at that time. Now it's a progressive place and it's amazing. But uh, I saw poverty on a regular basis in my life and I, I remember how, how sad it was for me to see people who struggled and um, I, I looked at my family and how blessed we were, and it, it, it felt like we didn't deserve the blessing that we had. I remember one time, uh, my, you know, my parents, they, you, you, come to, you come to this conclusion very quickly where there's millions of people in need that you don't have the capacity to solve everybody's problem. And my parents kind of operated on, on the theory that, well, but God's gonna bring some people into our lives that we need to help and can help, and we will do what we can't do, not focus on what we can't do. Let, let, let's just give what we do have to give and trust God. And there was this pastor and his wife who had a baby, and um, my mom told my dad, we need to go visit um, them. And so they went to their house and when they visited this uh, couple, my mom immediately knew that there was something wrong and she said to my dad, we need to take the, this, this lady to the hospital right now. I, there's something wrong. Talking to her, hearing what she's going through, they took her to the hospital and um, the, the doctor said she in fact would have died if you had not brought her that night. And she had, a, she had this baby and it was such a difficult delivery that uh, she named the baby Amos from Amos 4.12, which says, prepare to meet thy God, because she thought this was the last thing she was gonna do, is deliver this baby, and then she was gonna die. And then the, the, she had to stay in the hospital. The baby came home with us. So like we had a baby in the house. It was pretty amazing. We love little baby Amos. He was awesome. After a couple weeks, her mom got well enough to go home, and so my parents took uh, Amos back to his parents, and... And I remember my, 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 my parents came to us as kids and said, now listen, kids, we gotta tell you something. Um, we, didn't we don't really have the money to pay for the hospital bill, but, but we just had to pay the hospital bill. And the only way we got to do that was that we used the money saved for your tuition. 
So when you start school, we don't know how we're going to pay for it. Now, all of us understood that that meant that we would get a call from the school office and we would, we would have the walk of shame to the office where they were going to tell us and then it would get told that we didn't have the money for the tuition. And so that's why we couldn't come back. We all agreed, okay, in, in this particular time, we, we had to make that choice. We're, we're fully supportive. We're going to be praying, Mom and Dad, that God will, will, will provide the money that we need. And you know what? God supernaturally provided the money that we needed. And, and, we, and we, we, we got to stay in school. I remember I went to the International School of Manila, which is a very prestigious school in Manila. And the only reason I went there was because the missionary kids' school was full. And at first, my parents, you know, took everything they had to afford the tuition for the first grader. Then my brother came along, and my sister came along. And, and as time went by, it got to be more and more expensive. And it didn't matter, because most of the people that went to school there were the wealthy people from the Philippines. They were the expat diplomats and the businessmen. And when the school increased the price of tuition, they, their companies paid. No questions asked. But for us, it was really hard. I watched my mom and dad sacrifice all the time to be able to keep us in school. And who do I think I am? I am the recipient of the goodness of God expressed in the generations that went before me. I remember one time, in addition to the tuition, the board decided they were going to impose a, a matriculation fee on everybody who was in school. And, you know, at that point, my parents said, we don't even have a hope to stay. But my mom, who was a woman of faith, went to the board of the school and appealed and said, there's no way we can afford this matriculation fee, and I'm just appealing and the board made a special rule that exempted my family from that fee. And they said, you have been such a positive and good influence in the school. We're going to set that aside and your family won't have to pay that. My mom was a courageous woman of faith. This is the goodness of God that came to me. I didn't deserve that. You know, uh, we are all the beneficiaries of the hardworking people in previous generations, an expression of the goodness of God that somehow gets to come down to us. Don't ever think that it's your wisdom, your talent, hard work alone that got you where you, were, where you are. Now, there was four people riding in a small plane one day, and the pilot came out of the cockpit. He grabbed one of the three parachutes, and he said, listen, this plane's going down, and your hope for survival is only if you will take a parachute and jump out of this plane. He took the first of three. The other guy in the plane said, well, I'm the smartest man in the world. I need to survive. So he grabbed a parachute and jumped out. This left an older man and a little boy. And the older man looked at the little boy and said, I'm old already and I've lived most of my life. 
You're young, you've got your life ahead of you, so here, you take the remaining parachute. I want you to have it. The young man looked up to him and says, well, sir, thank you very much, but the smartest man in the world jumped out with my backpack, and we both still have parachutes. You know, I remember my mom telling me how the greatest desire of her life was to have a godly family. Because she didn't have that. At 12 years old, her dad abandoned the family and her mother went to a hospital. And she was confined for a long time. This left my mom as a 12-year-old all alone in Dearborn, Michigan. Now, they weren't a poor family, and my mom survived because they had rental houses that were around them. And now as a 12-year-old, my mom collected the rent, managed everything by herself. I remember her saying that, that it was just so difficult because like, there was no one there for her. She said, one day I went to school and I was awarded the outstanding art student of my class. And she said, I went forward and received the award. And then I looked out into the crowd and realized there's nobody here to watch me receive this award. And she said in that moment, she felt so alone. But she had a friend. Her friend's name was Joy. Joy was later Joy Kennedy. Her husband was the president of BBC, but at that time there were two girls in Dearborn, Michigan, and Joy attended a church, Temple Baptist Church, and would invite my mom because they, they, did, they weren't a family of faith to go with her to church. And my mom said she, she really never went until one time some other friends invited her to go downtown to an evangelistic meeting sponsored by the Billy Graham Crusade for Young People. And she went and she heard the gospel. And she said, I heard that God actually did love me. It didn't feel like anybody loved her that God so loved me that he sent his son and that if I would put my faith and trust in Jesus, I would become a child of God. I could be part of God's family. And I so wanted to be a part of God's family because I didn't have one. She accepted Christ and then she went to her friend Joy who had been invited her for years to go to church and she said, can I go to church with you? And she did. And she grew up in that church and was discipled. And then the youth director discovered that at, you know, she was like 16 years old and she was living all alone. And he invited her to live with his family. And she got a picture and a taste of what it was like to live in a family that loved God. And she began to dream of having a family like that. And I got to be the child in that family. We weren't a perfect family, but my mom taught me that I needed to be saved. And she explained it to me until one day I accepted Jesus as my savior. My mom would dispatch me, and you've heard this many times as a teenager with the verse in Galatians, well, Eddie, be not deceived. God is not mocked, whatsoever you sow, that will you also reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. She would go on and on. I'm trying to get out the door. 
If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life eternal. Have a good time. And I'd be like, oh, mom. But she pounded into me this truth. God's ways are right. And when you choose them, you invite his greatest blessing. And when you ignore God's ways, what happens is sin begins to steal away all the good things God wants for you. You know what? The goodness of God flowed to me before I was even born. My dad, my dad's um, mother, her name was Leon. That's kind of a cool thing, Leon Lyons, okay? Keep the theme going. Um, my grandmother's great-grandfather was a circuit-riding preacher in Iowa. A circuit-riding preacher is like this, you know, rural communities had churches where they would assemble, but they didn't all have pastors. So circuit-riding preachers would go from one location to the next, to the next, to the next. Maybe you'd have somebody who was a preacher come in and preach once a month in your church. Otherwise, you had to just come up with something on your own. And my great-great-grandfather, whose name I don't even know, so impacted the generations before me that it was not a thought in my, grand, my, my great-grandmother's mind that they would not faithfully attend and participate in church. And my grandmother, Leon, you could count on it, would be in church every single Sunday. No questions asked. No excuses given. And then my dad says, because he was in church every day, every Sunday of his life, when he was 16, he said he felt the great conviction of God, and he went forward at the Mark Baptist Church in Mark, Iowa, and he knelt down to pray, and his grandmother came and whispered, Boyd, you stay right there till you get it, and you're, you're sure you've got it. And he accepted Jesus as his Savior. And shortly after that, he felt this absurd idea that God would call him to preach. Here is my dad, a very introverted farm boy, the only child from a farm in Iowa who says yes, goes to BBC, meet and marries my mother. Eventually, we all go to the Philippines as missionaries. My point is this. The goodness of God is so vast and so great. It precedes our birth. I don't know what your story is. Whether you have a story that looks a lot like my mom that was just chaotic, and then a friend came and said something. Or like my dad, who's 
family faithfully, it was, at least his mother and him went to church every, every Sunday, and he went for 16 years until he finally accepted Jesus as his Savior. And the truth is that God is the one who chose us. That's what Ephesians 1 says. God chose us. We didn't, before we ever chose him, he chose us. We should thank God for the goodness and recognize that God was at work in our lives way before we even were born. Second, God is at work in our lives today. I told you that Lamentations 3, 22 to 24 is you know, some of my favorite verses. In fact, I begin most days and um, before I take the first bite of my breakfast, because I am a breakfast eater, you know, love me some poached eggs, you know what I'm saying? Um, but I get up and I say, God, thank you for every beat of my heart. That matters to me now. You go through open heart surgery, you start thanking God for the beats of your heart. I thank you for every breath that I breathe. I thank you for every step I take. I thank you for every clear thought that I have. I thank you for your, your mercies that were extended again today and I have something to eat and a house to live in and it's warm. It's warm, I'm not freezing to death, thank God for that. God, I thank you for my wife, my children. I thank you for the fact that I can serve in this church. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Lastly, we need to live with an attitude of gratitude. Of all the commands in the Bible, being thankful is one of the most mentioned ones. In fact, ingratitude is perhaps one of the worst sins anyone could ever commit. There's even a science of gratitude. Dr. Robert Emmons from UC Davis is an expert on the science of gratitude. He says that gratitude can lower blood pressure, improve immune function, and facilitate more efficient sleep. Gratitude reduces lifetime risk for depression, anxiety, and substance abuse disorders. Gratitude works because it allows individuals to celebrate the present and to be an active participant in their own lives. By valuing and appreciating friends, oneself, situations, and circumstances, it focuses the mind on what an individual already has rather than um, something that's absent in, and is needed. Gratitude blocks toxic emotions such as envy, resentment, regret, depression, which can destroy our happiness. Emmons said, it, it's impossible to feel envious and grateful at the same time. At Duke University, Dr. Uh, Dori Swamy, head of the Division of Biologic Psychology, um, said, said this. Um, he writes that being thankful can be used to enhance wellness, it impacts mood, neurotransmitters, serotonin, norepinephrine, I don't know how to say that word. You guys know what that is, maybe. And if you don't, just go with me. Um, 
reproductive hormones, testosterone, social bonding hormones, oxytocin, cognitive and pleasure-related neurotransmitters, dopamine, uh, inflammatory and immune system, psych, uh, cytokines, stress hormones, cortisol, cardiac and EEG rhythms, blood pressure and blood sugar. One of the most well-known practices uncovered from this research is known as the three blessing exercise, okay? Each night before going to bed, write down three good things, ordinary or extraordinary, that happen to you during the day. Studies reveal that those who continue this exercise for one week straight can increase their happiness and decrease depressive symptoms for up to a six-month period. He goes on to say that if thankfulness were a drug, it would be the world's best-selling product with a health maintenance indication for every major organ system. When it comes to raising kids, um, one article says this, we found that grateful young adolescents, ages 11 to 13, compared to their less grateful counterparts, are happier, are more optimistic, have better social support from friends, family, are more satisfied with their school, family, community, friends, and themselves, and give more emotional support to others. They're also physically healthier and report fewer physical symptoms, such as headaches, stomach aches, and runny noses. If you are a parent or a grandparent, it is important for us to find a way to build into our children and grandchildren the habit of gratitude. That's why it's important to teach our kids to say please and thank you. You know, to instill within our children the power of gratitude will absolutely change their life. I remember as a kid, we, were, we had this ritual. After every meal, we didn't just get up and leave. We would first, we, this is our instruction. We would first have to say, Mom, thank you for dinner. It was good. And then we would look to our dad and say, may I be excused? He would say, you may. Honestly, there were some meals where my enthusiasm for the meal was more about being able to be excused than the actual meal. Nevertheless, the habit of gratitude was taught to me. At every birthday party, when gifts were unwrapped, our instructions were, you receive the gift, read the card first so you know who it's from, unwrap the gift, then go to that person, look them in the eye, and say, thank you for this gift. I really like it. I appreciate it. Before you go to the next gift. Kids who don't learn to be grateful become narcissistic and begin to expect that everything should be given to them. The spirit of entitlement is a path of unhappiness. People don't like entitled people. Did you know that? 
you know, hey, you did a really good job. I know. I'm like, well, get out of here then. You know, you know what I mean? Entitled people are not fun. Gratitude actually brings us together. Thank you. You're welcome. You see that connection? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, there's a very interesting passage in which God is now ready to bring the children of Israel into the promised land. I mean, he's walked them through the desert for 40 years, provided manna every day, provided water for them when they were thirsty. He protected them from scorpions. And this passage talks about how he, he protected them from the fiery serpents and the scorpions and how he provided everything that they needed um, because God wanted to develop a relationship with these people. And then he warns them and he says, beware. Now that you're going into the promised land, this land that is flowing with milk and honey, this land that has abundant harvests of pomegranates, oil, olive oil, wheat, barley, honey. I mean, it's a great place. It is such a rich place with resources. This is specifically mentioned. You, there's iron and copper in the ground. I mean, the Lord is giving them the promised land. He said, but here, here's the warning I need to tell you. Beware that you do not forget that the Lord, your God, is the one who brought you here. This is not about getting to live in a great place. It's about understanding that God is the one through his goodness who has provided and favored you. We need to be reflectors of the glory of God, not people who receive glory and take it as our own. Gratitude puts us in a posture of humility, which is the path of goodness. 1 Peter 5, 5 to 6 says this, submit to God, resist the devil. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. To remember what God has done for us, to live in a posture of gratitude is a path to enjoy the goodness of God in the past and in the future. And we should tell the next generation about the goodness of God. Why do I know the stories about my family that I told you? Can I tell you why? Because my parents did not forget to declare the goodness of God to my generation. And it is my responsibility and it is my heart's desire to tell the goodness of God to the next generation. And I pray that it will go to the next generation. We need to live with an attitude of gratitude for the goodness of God.